Dear congregation, the life of faith is a life of paradoxes. And the Apostle Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians 6 verses 9 and 10 where he puts all of these paradoxes side by side. And he says about himself and other Christians as unknown and yet well known. As dying and behold we live. As chastened and not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich. As having nothing and yet possessing All things. Dear believer, you often know something of this paradox where inwardly, for example, you feel on the one hand so convicted of your sin and yet you're told that your sin has been pardoned on the basis of Christ's blood and righteousness. You may be growing in holiness and yet you see corruption more and more in yourself. You are thankful for what the Lord has done. And yet, you're longing for what you don't have and what you look forward to on the basis of the Scriptures. Often you feel defeated. And yet the Bible tells you that you, dear believer, are more than a conqueror through Him who loved you. Often you feel assaulted by Satan, the world, and your own flesh. And yet the Bible tells you that these enemies have been defeated in the death of Christ. And though your life is certainly not easy, you cannot turn back, can you, dear Christian? Like Gideon and the men in our passage You may feel faint and ready to give up. And yet notwithstanding, you must continue. You must brace yourself. And you will pursue your soul's enemies till the very end. And looking to the Lord, we want to look, we want to see what this means. For our lives practically from the passage that was read in your hearing Judges chapter 8, and we take verse 4 as our text, especially the last words, though we will deal with uh, the whole chapter. So Judges chapter 8 and verse 4, these words, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the 300 men that were with him, faint, yet pursuing them. Faint, yet pursuing them. Our theme looking to the Lord this morning is weary yet warring. We'll see the scene of our text. Secondly, the struggle. And thirdly, the strength. Weary yet warring. The scene, the struggle, the strength. Did you know that Gideon's name is in the New Testament, children? He's listed as a hero of faith very briefly in Hebrews chapter 11. And yet when you look at Gideon's life, he doesn't seem, especially at first, to be so, such a natural hero type. 
In fact, he needed a lot of persuasion to follow the Lord's call and to do the Lord's work. His family was poor in Manasseh, so he himself said, and he was the least in his family. He had many objections, many fears, but the Lord dealt patiently with Gideon. When he asked for a sign, the Lord gave him a sign. First, wet fleece with dry ground around it, and when that wasn't enough, the Lord gave him a second sign, this time a dry fleece with wet ground around it. But from the time that the angel of the Lord had appeared to Gideon to call him, there was no turning back. God had promised deliverance against Midian, and deliverance would happen. God would make it happen. Not according to man's plan, but according to his own plan. And that would be difficult for Gideon. The Lord would not allow him to use the large army of 22,000 people that originally showed up. 12,000 would be sent home. And then another 9,700 would be sent home and Gideon would be left with 300 men. That's it. You see, it would be not by might nor by power, but by my spirit saith the Lord. And the battle itself, as you well know, children, did not go as you might imagine. It didn't happen with sword and spear. As weapons, Gideon's men could only have a trumpet and a burning lamp. And what they did was they circled their enemies with these lamps, covered with clay pitchers so you could barely see the flickering flame. But then at a certain time, all at once, in unison, they broke the clay pitchers, revealing the bright lamps, and they blew the trumpets so that the enemy was besieged by a wall of light and noise. And there stood the Israelites. That's all they had to do as the Midianite camp was cast into confusion and the Midianites rose up to flee, fighting each other. And it is there where our chapter, chapter 8, begins. For we find that Gideon and his men are pursuing the Midianites over the Jordan River, and they do so faint, yet pursuing them. Now, before we go into lessons that we can draw from this chapter, we want to, we want to see, we have to see, that the book of Judges isn't just history. It is history. It is true history. Everything in it is true without fault, without flaw. And yet, it is to teach us the character of God and the design of God to raise up in the fullness of time a great deliverer, a great judge, 
a savior who would fight not a military battle, but a spiritual battle, the battle of battles, where he would defeat not Midian or any other nation, but sin and Satan. And he would do so not with torches and trumpets, but he would do so with his own precious blood. And he would buy to himself an army of people bought by his own blood who would fight on his behalf, not with swords and spears, but with the trumpet of the gospel and with the light of salvation, which is the word of God. And so we see here in this passage of Gideon, we see how God is instructing his church of all times and places how they ought to focus on their captain and how they ought to obey the Lord using the weapons that he has given them and all for his glory and honor. And they ought to do so even when they are weary and worn, fatigued and faint. But notice, congregation, how each of these warring soldiers with Gideon, how they had all experienced the same thing. They had all experienced the same thing. They'd all been enlisted in the fight and they had all endured the various tests that the Lord had put them under in the process of calling them to fight against Midian. While others had turned back They had stayed with their captain, Gideon. They'd all received a trumpet. They'd all received a lantern. And they were all under the headship of Gideon. They'd all been there during the second watch of the night when the light shone through the darkness and the trumpets pierced the silence. They'd all seen when the enemy turned on itself and fled on foot. And they'd all joined the cry, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. You see, congregation, no matter whether we are young or old, no matter whether we have been in ministry or we are simply in our families, all those who are fighting under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ have experienced essentially the same thing. They may be from different tribes, tongues, and nations. They may have different statures or be of different age groups. But everyone who fights under King Jesus has heeded the call to fight, has come under his banner, has come to acknowledge his lordship, and his place. And yes, you dear Christian, you've endured tests. Many times the Lord puts you under tests immediately, drawing you to himself. And whereas others left, you could not, and you have not. Though indeed you have a wayward heart, through a force not your own, You cannot leave the Lord Jesus Christ 
For to whom else can you go? He has the words of eternal life. And you know something of this light, of the glory of the gospel of Christ. Though sometimes it seems your eyes are closed to it, you cannot deny that the Lord is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all, and that the gospel, the gospel is light in the midst of darkness, including your own dark heart. You've begun to understand that you fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers. And you have, if you're a Christian, you've witnessed and experienced something of the wonderful deliverance of the Lord, not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. There have been times, at least, in which you have seen your own foes driven back. That foe of unbelief which was so powerful in your life and still is. And yet, the Lord has been pleased to drive him back by the working of his Spirit. Many times you fear. Many times you doubt, maybe. And yet, one thing you cannot deny, this captain, the greater Gideon, the Lord Jesus Christ, There's none like him in heaven or on the earth. If anyone is to win the battles of your life, it will be, it must be him. All 300 had experienced essentially the same thing. But secondly, a second lesson here is that all 300 we're bound together. It's not a group going over this way and another group going over that way, forming little teams with their own leaders. No, they're all under Gideon. Gideon and his men, our text says. And so there is a unity, a union between these soldiers. They are all united, all 300 of them. Not 296. No, all 300 of them are going lockstep and barrel, shoulder to shoulder, pursuing the enemy. You might think from a human perspective, why wouldn't half of them, 150 of them, stay behind? to figure out what needs to be done here, and 150 of the strongest of them, sure, let them pursue after Midian. No, every single one who has fought with Gideon will also pursue the enemy. And the lesson here, of course, is that every justified believer will also be a sanctified believer. It is not so that Christ simply does their battles for them and half of them fight on in sanctification and half of them do not. No. The Lord's people are bound together. They are bound to their captain. They are bound 
to fight in this war. And they are bound each one with another. There's a basic unity in the Christian faith among true Christians. I ask you then, are you part of the Lord's army? Do you know in your own soul's experience something of this delivering power outside of yourself, not by might, nor by power, but by God's Spirit? Have you seen something, even a glimmer, of that light of the glory of the gospel? Have you seen something of the awesomeness of the Lord Jesus Christ as the conqueror worth being under, worth following, worth being devoted to? Are you also in your own life aware that there is no crown without tremendous cost? And though oftentimes maybe your heart is lax, double-minded, wavering, nevertheless, you know, I must follow the Lord whithersoever he goes. I'm asking you this morning, congregation, if you are part of the army of the Lord Jesus Christ, or are you still fighting against Him? Are you fighting your own battles your own way? Are you fighting sin by being just religious? Super religious maybe even. Trying hard. Or have you realized that that will never work? Maybe you have tried that. But it never yielded anything but some temporary self-satisfaction. No deliverance. No true deliverance. The question this morning, congregation, that comes to each and every one of us is, not are you fighting? Because everyone here is fighting. But are you fighting under the Lord's banner? Yes or no? You see, congregation, it isn't that you have to be extra special to be able to fight under the Lord's banner. No, not at all. Sinners, Jesus came to save. He calls men and women, boys and girls, whoever you are and whatever you've done, to come behind Him, to follow after Him, to come under His Lordship, under His power, under his call. What a glorious thing it is when in the preaching of the word of God you hear Christ's call and you come under him. You learn what it is. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. Oh, indeed, that does not mean that you don't fight. You fight under Him. You fight in obedience to Him. You fight in accordance to His Word. But you always lean, you always depend 
When you look at yourself, you are tempted to throw in the towel. You become tired of fighting. Maybe you even give up. And that's one of the things, congregation, where as a congregation you must stir one another up. When you see any lagging behind, when you see those who are beginning to stray or in their life, they're leaving aside the Word of God. You come with true love, not with censoriousness, but you come with true love, knowing your own heart, meekly, seeking to restore those who have fallen down, who have stopped fighting, who have gone out of the way. Congregation, this is the scene of our text. We come now to the struggle, the specific struggle. Because this word faint in our text in verse 4b, this word faint means weary, languid. And isn't it a special thing that the Bible tells us how these men felt. And it tells it so honestly. It doesn't leave it out. It doesn't just gloss over human weakness, human feelings, human emotions, as if they don't matter or they don't count. You know, the Holy Spirit could have seen fit to write this whole chapter in a very objective way and just picture these people going, going, going and fulfilling their charge and, and coming out strong at the very end. But it doesn't. Already in verse 4, we're told, these men are weary. They're faint. It gives attention to their feelings, their frailty, and their weaknesses. In congregation, that is what the Bible does. And thereby it distinguishes itself from, from many human books, even religious books, that simply glorify religious people, whoever they may be. Not so the Bible. The Bible is honest about our frailties and our weaknesses. It is honest about man and who man is and that the best of men are indeed men at best. So it records for us David's highs as well as his lows. Peter's falls and failings as well as his feats. And so the Bible, also here, is very honest, and I'm thankful for it. Because if there were never an indication of believers in the Scriptures being faint and weary, I wouldn't be able to think of myself as a believer. You wouldn't recognize yourself at all in the people who are then larger than life. And so we can be thankful that the Bible is so brutally honest about human experiences, also that of the people of God. <clears throat> and herein we see an example of what Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 8. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are true. When the elders come in house visitation, are you going to make things look better than they truly are in your life? When they ask you how it's been recently in your soul, are you going to say, well, not bad, 
when really it is bad. You're going to say it like it is. And say, you know, really, I, I wish it were different, but it is so cold. In my heart, I don't know why. Or I do know why, maybe. But to be honest, whatsoever things are true. Christians are not always on the mountaintops of life. There's many a valley, many a season. Even the Lord Jesus Christ, who was holy, harmless, and undefiled, yet in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, My soul is sorrowful even unto death. Watch with me. Watch and pray. And notice in this connection, congregation, that all 300 of these men were faint. That's what it says. It's not so that half of them were faint and half were not. No, they were all faint. And there can be seasons in congregational life or in family life in which you're faint as a community, as a congregation. You're suffering. Either a blow that has struck the congregation or some spirit of faintness that has come over us all. We find ourselves in the doldrums of spiritual experiences and we look one to another and and we're all faint. I wonder, congregation, what the angels would say as they look upon this congregation what they would find this congregation to be at this time. I don't know, but there certainly are seasons in which there's a faintness that creeps in, a weariness, a languor. What are some of the things that can help cause this feeling of faintness? Well, It's interesting when you look at this chapter, and perhaps you wondered why I'd chosen this chapter to read. Now, all of Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, and certainly this chapter is no exception. But when we read this chapter closely, already in the first two verses, what do we read? We read how Israelites were treating Gideon and his soldiers very poorly. And clearly, this would have been discouraging to them, wouldn't it? Disappointing. They asked for help. They asked for supplies. They asked for food. And rather than come to their aid on the heels of such a great victory, these fellow Israelites speak harshly to them. Some of them are griping because they weren't invited to the initial battle. And though they have a place now, they won't take that place because they weren't there at the very beginning. And so you have this carping. You have this harshness. You have this criticism of fellow brethren, so to speak. This negativity that is discouraging and will discourage any one of us. What a lesson this should be to us as well within the community of faith that we esteem better, that we esteem others better than self. 
that in all lowliness of mind, we would do so. And we would understand that the followers of the Lord Jesus ought to be people who gird themselves just like he did with a towel and they wash one another's feet. They seek the best of those around them in lowliness of mind, full of compassion, full of love one towards another. Faintness, weariness, discouragement can take a big toll on the Christian army. But secondly, congregation, there's another reason why they must have been faint, and that is these 300 men were outnumbered. It's true, 120,000 Midianites had perished, but there are about 15,000 enemies left and on the run. And against these 15,000, what's 300 men? Are you never disturbed today and discouraged by how it seems like evil outnumbers good? How the battles that we fight in our world, in our nation, at work perhaps, or in college, you, you seem to be vastly outnumbered. Vastly outnumbered. You look around you and you, you, you read polls and, and you wonder, how can it be that so many people consider killing children not only acceptable, but something to be fought for? Infanticide. Which even animals, you don't find among animals. And, and you look at this and, and it can cripple you when you think, what sort of world are we in and where is this all going? Faint, because we're outnumbered. David says in Psalm 3, how are they increased that trouble me? A third reason why we can feel faint is because the battle is dragging on. It's one thing to fight for a day or a night or for a few days, a few nights. But when a battle turns into something that takes weeks, months, even years, and we don't see the end in sight, it's very normal for us to feel faint. That's why some of you Christians here today, you're faint because you fought against sin, temptation for so long already. You've cried and you cry, when will it end? And you wonder and you look perhaps for the coming of Christ with the clouds. When all this weary night is past, you long for that, you truly long for that. In part, to be rid of sin and sorrow and sadness. We read in Proverbs 24, verse 10, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Take that word to heart, my fainting friend today. 
The Bible is saying there's more strength to be found. There's more strength to be gotten. There's more strength in the Lord Jesus Christ. David says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I had fainted. These are reasons why we can faint also in the Christian life. Sad providences also can make us feel weary and faint. I don't know if you caught it, but in verses 18 and 19, when he's speaking there with his arch enemies Ziba and Zalmunna, he finds out, he discovers that they were responsible for killing his family, his own brothers, each of them. He learns of that. In the midst of doing battle here, his own familiar friends have been killed here by the enemy. This is no small thing. Even with all the victories that he has experienced to hear of the loss of a brother, of a friend, of a spouse, to to have that, to endure that, where someone close to yourself can cripple you, can make you feel faint and weary. There are people here who have lost loved ones in recent days or the more distant time. And you know something of that faintness that can come over you when you see that empty place where someone used to sit who meant so much to you and helped you, to whom you could go and on whom you could rely in a human way at least to some extent and they're gone. It seems like the support is no longer there. And that can be a cause for faintness, for weariness. When we see the prosperity of the wicked, we also can grow faint. You can think of Asaph in Psalm 73 when he looks out around him and he sees how the wicked are prospering. And he inwardly becomes faint and feeble. Well, congregation, the Spirit of God gives us to follow These 300 men, as they pass over the mountain ridges, up steep paths, down narrow valleys, 300. They're not running at their optimal pace and strength anymore. They're faint. Their eyes are looking weary. Their faces are bedraggled. Their hands are hanging down. Their knees may be knocking. They're faint. But thanks be to God, they're still pursuing. They're still warring. Which brings us to our third and final point, the strength. If God were not on the throne congregation, then my text would read this, faint and sitting down, faint and a prey to the enemy. But no, My text says faint, yet pursuing. Weary, yet warring. What a blessed paradox. What an amazing truth meets us this morning, however we are in this moment. And the first reason why these men could be pursuing and why you, dear Christian, can be pursuing your enemy is the battle 
is the Lord's. Faithful is he who hath called. He will also do it. From the moment that the angel of the Lord came to Gideon and promised to be with Gideon, I will be with you. From that moment on, the outcome was secure and sure. True. There would be ups, there would be downs, there would be fainting and feebleness. The battle might last longer than you imagine, but one thing is sure, forever sure. The battle is the Lord's. He has from eternity past undertaken that battle. In His infinite mercy and grace, He has made it His own. And He has said, dear believer, of your battle against sin, Satan, and your own flesh, it is mine. Surely, I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. That's what the Lord had said to him. I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And so it would be. As Paul says in the midst of the groaning of the Christian life, and the upheaval, he says, If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who in all the world can be against us? The battle is the Lord's. Secondly, God gives power to the weak. You see, congregation, the Lord doesn't just win the battle despite his fainting people. That's true. But he loves to win the battle through his fainting people. And I think it is because he gets the most honor and the most glory when he works through weak means. As we sing somewhere, weak means fulfill his will. Mighty enemies to still. You see, if Gideon and his 300 men had been at the top of their game, as we say it, as mere Goliaths going at their enemy with not a sense of weakness whatsoever, then the honor and the praise would go, at least in part, to Gideon and to his men. But when they are there faint and bedraggled and weary pursuing after these Midianites, then it is clear the victory is not Gideon's. It is the Lord who is choosing to work through weak means. He is working, like Paul says, somewhere like this. When I am weak, then I am strong. Most gladly would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Dear 
assaulted believer today? Do you hear what the Lord says to you? You would wish to be the most heroic, strong Christian this world has ever seen. But the Lord wills it differently. He wants us to be weak in this sense, that in our weakness we cry to Him and look to Him and lean on Him and depend on Him. Oh, to learn the holy art of glorying in our weakness, not in our strength. On the basis of the Scriptures, we can say that the Lord designs to work in people who are weak rather than those who are strong in themselves, that the honor would go to Him. He says in Isaiah 40, He giveth power to the faint, and to him that hath no might, he increaseth strength. He doesn't say he giveth power to the half-faint or to the mostly strong. Sometimes you'll hear the world say, and religious people even say, God helps those who help themselves. Well, my Bible says he giveth power to the faint. And to him that hath no might, none at all, no might, he increaseth strength. Even those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They may feel faint, but they won't ultimately faint. They may have fainting fits, as Spurgeon calls it somewhere, but in the end, they will keep on fighting and they will not ultimately faint. And so, congregation, as we close this morning, are you faint here this morning? Did you come through these doors this morning weary of sin, weary of the world? weary of Satan's assaults on you and on your life. See these 300 men and Gideon ahead of them as a window into the Lord's design for all his people in every age and in every place. And take comfort and consolation and strength from the word of God which sets before us the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who takes the most faint into his army. He will use you. He will supply your need. He will support you all the way till Zion. David who experienced this as well, he said, for by thee I have run through a troop and by my God I have leaped over a wall. He teacheth my hands to war 
so that a bow of steel is broken. For thou hast girded me with strength unto the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose against me. If you are the Lord's here today, no matter how faint you feel, perhaps you feel you can't take another step or another breath or make it through another day, hear the word of the Lord. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. But be pursuing. Faint, but pursuing. Pursue your enemies. Hunt them down. Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. Read books like Thomas Brooks on spiritual warfare and remedies against Satan's devices. And fight against sin with prayer, with supplication with entreaty, with the word of God opened before you. One word, one little word, Luther says, shall fell them, shall make them to fall. Don't imagine you can fight and pursue your enemies with a closed Bible, with a closed mouth, with a closed heart. Cry, cry, cry to your Lord and Captain. And remember, I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. The God of peace shall crush Satan under our feet shortly and lift up the hands that hang down and confirm the feeble knees and make a straight path for your feet. My last words, congregation, are for those of you who have no such comfort, at least not now, because you know nothing of this faintness of which we've been speaking, this weakness in yourself. Oh yes, you are weak in yourself, but you don't feel it, you don't know it. You're still strong in yourself. You're able to live life. You're able to make it. You think in your own strength. Oh, my friend, what will you do in that great day when you meet the swelling of Jordan? It's one thing if you are so strong that you can make it through this life, that somehow you can, you can live life, you can make it through, but what are, you going to do day, what are you going to do when Jordan swells and you have to cross this river and you have to go to the other side? What will help you? What will hold you up? What will enable you to stand on the other side when you face God? And you've never lived under His Lordship. Oh, my friend, you will enter into utter defeat, world without end, 
with gnashing of teeth, with Satan, with the world, and nothing but sin and shame and misery. And that, while there is a Jehovah Jesus who takes the faint and those who have no might, no righteousness, nothing but sin, and he says, the battle is the Lord's. Come to me and find strength and pardon and help and life and all that you need. Oh, my friend, whoever you are, this is how we must live. This is how we must fight. This is how we must one day leave this life, faint but pursuing. And one day, people of God, on the other side, there will be no more faintness, none at all, no more enemies, but crowns, which you, dear believers, will take off your heads and you'll cast at his feet and you'll say, thou art worthy. Amen. Lord, magnify thy great grace in our hearts today, we pray. Take away all that unbelief which so besets us and grant that in all our faintness that we would lift our heads aloft knowing that Christ at thy right hand has won the battle and that whatever enemies are left for us in thy strength, to bruise and to crush. May we do so leaning on Thee. Oh, give that cry to Thee for strength, for help in time of need, for mercy. And save the lost, we pray. Those who are fighting on the wrong side, oh Lord, deliver them from the vain imaginations that control them, that somehow all will be well. Save them, Lord. And all will be well to thy praise and to thy glory. And we ask this in the pardon of every sin. In Jesus' name alone, amen.